Hey everybody, welcome back to Eureka at OSU. My name is Rakesh. And my name is Pratt. And today we'll be interviewing Dr. Noel Paul. So Dr. Paul, uh, Dr. Paul has been one of my favorite professors here at OSU. He teaches uh, OCHEM here. He, he was my OCHEM lab professor, um, as well as we took a neurochem class with him last semester. And it was amazing. I've learned so much from Dr. Paul. And I think he's one of the professors on campus that's really, you know, uh, developed my love for not just chemistry but science in general so welcome dr paul oh thank you very much you're gonna make me cry for the <laughs> interview oh. <laughs> well um dr paul let's get right into it um one of our first questions that we ask all of our interviewees is what is your main curiosity or what drives your curiosity oh my gosh how long was the podcast no i'm just kidding. <laughs> oh so honestly i have this sort of analogy in my mind and it has to do with a mixture of visual art and also science and physics so if you plot the electromagnetic spectrum it is linear and you have the tiny tiny shred of visible light right in the center but if you go to an art studio it's a color wheel where infrared and ultraviolet are gone and it's folded to this now new continuous shape. I am fascinated about that space on the color wheel where violet and red touch. Because to me, that's like, uh, you know, on the one side, it's like, you know, sociology, psychology. Uh, the study of the mind, the study of consciousness, religion, and then right on the other side is like neuroscience, molecular, you know, biochemistry, chemistry, whatever. And then at the bottom is all like the humanity, you know, just rich texture, rich tapestry of other things that we study. You, you know, if we talk for a few minutes, you know, I think we could easily end up on the topic of like, you know, just how... The U.S. government has lumped together a lot of very disparate molecules, plants, natural occur naturally occurring substances. And I think that somewhere in that, that line between red and violet is the use of, you know, psychedelic medicines or just really very intentional explorations of what the brain does and I think one of the one of the big themes for my class, or for our class that, that uh, Pratt was in, it's like we we live in this amazing time. Or maybe I should preface it by saying, you know, the first time that somebody is diagnosed with anything, you know, high blood pressure, whatever, GERD, and you have to take a pill. I think every person goes through this mourning process, like, there's something wrong with me, I'm not perfect, I'm going to get better on my own. And I feel like, to totally counteract that, like, we live in a world where here's a pill that we have data will modulate your neurotransmitters in a certain way. And, you know, living things are a big mess, that's why I'm a chemist. <laughs> Um, so, you know, seeing the living structure of 
you know, biochemistry, zoom in, the inner workings of a cell, zoom out, the unbelievably un or impossible to understand interplay of a trillion neurons or whatever. So that's just, you know, that's pretty much it. Just everything, you know, what is existence? <laughs> Chemistry is the building blocks of reality, if I may, <laughs> as long as we don't go too small. But I'm a huge art fan, I'm a huge music fan. I love stories, I just love ideas. <laughs> so there's your, there's your uh, diatribe. <laughs> yeah, no, one fascinating thing that you touched on was how like these chemicals at the end of the day, these fundamental building blocks um, are affecting our perception of the world, our ability to make ideas through like drugs, right? So um, on one end, we as creative individuals can produce ideas, produce art, produce all those humanities things that you talked about, um, but those can be modulated by these chemicals and building blocks, which I think is really, really cool. And just, you know, you don't have to go very far on Reddit to just like go down a rabbit hole literally of like what is consciousness are you even conscious <laughs> you know what is life are you even are you just a simulation oh yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um the there's a youtube channel and i don't watch very much youtube not like intentionally always by accident for 20 25 minutes you know just going down the movie trailer and science little video but have you seen the in a nutshell uh Chris Kazat? yeah, yeah. So like they they just always have the most inspirational things there. I I mean if if you wanted to lay a breadcrumb trail to trap me, you would have those <laughs> videos. videos along the way. Awesome, yeah, um, that's amazing. So um, moving on, kind of uh, we wanted to know a little bit more about like you talked about like how. The, uh, chemistry is kind of like the building box of reality. Is that kind of like what got you interested in going into chemistry in the first place or uh, what kind of got you into it at it's, the very beginning? You know, I think the challenge was one of the things. Um, you know, I didn't set out to be a chemist necessarily when I was in, you know, middle school or the beginning of high school. But uh, I, I just always loved science. And honestly... Like, I found, this is not true anymore, but, like, I found, like, earth science and ecology and, like, you know, geology, just, like, kind of boring. Now, in retrospect, it's all fascinating because right. we're living in a uh, roulette wheel of climate instability. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, mineralogy and geology is so fascinating from an uh, atomic structural point of view. A lot of ideas from that have eventually led back to my and just overall interpretation of what chemistry is but I was fascinated by space so when I was young you know I still have these like four books that are you know aimed at kids or maybe a little bit older and this is like the middle of the 80s you know computer design is like barely a thing so we have like this book, it's all these like paintings of, oh, this is what the moon of Io must look like. Or here's, you know, if you were flying through Saturn's rings, this is what it would look like. Or here's, you know, the volcanic sulfuric acid pressure cooker of <laughs> Venus surface. 
So it's almost like those were so a mixture between like fairy tales and the best guess at what reality is. So in that way, like, you know, my interest in science is wide, but I really like big stuff. I mean, special relativity <laughs> and, you know, time dilation and the space time and multiple dimensions and all that stuff. Just fascinating. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't do the math, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I love quantum mechanics. It doesn't it doesn't make sense, but it's the reason why <laughs> anything exists because there's just energy that cannot be dissipated. Like you can cool something to zero, but it still has a fundamental amount of energy that is there. Um, for, I think that space and the like, you know, quantum mechanical scale, like chemistry is more like those than it is biology. Because it's like, I don't know, it's just this puzzle of building blocks and, you know, equations that are not as boring as they seem. It really was, though, high school. You know, I I took biology when I was a a freshman. And I enjoyed it very much. Um, But then we had chemistry in my sophomore year. And I just really, I just thought it was really cool. And I, you know... Students always ask, like, were you just good at chemistry? (laughs) And I always say, no, that's ridiculous. That doesn't work. But the truth is, there must have been something my whole life that interested me, that made me obsess about it, which applies perfectly to thinking about chemistry, doing the math, and all that stuff. So honestly, me and Dr. Callum, we have talked a lot about Legos, that a love of Legos as a young person translates pretty well to having that three-dimensional structural vision and like really the ability to animate things in your imagination. Also, organic chemistry, what other uh, degree do you get to play with toys? <laughs> um, so, you know, what, over the years, then I took physics, I thought I would really like physics and I really did not. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a fair assessment because I didn't really like Gen Chem either. (laughs) I mean, I sincerely almost changed my major after my freshman year because uh, Gen Chem 2 was so miserable. And whenever students say, like, I'm slow, you know, I'm I'm so afraid to make a mistake, I was always the last person in the lab, like, that's literally me. That's not a wonderful or unequivocally good trait. But, you know, attention to detail is an important thing. And perfectionism is a double-edged sword and it mostly hurts. But, I don't know, how do you get the most out of something? I also got the most out of my tuition for that lab time. (laughs) (laughs) But but then OCHEM was just totally different and it inspired me to keep doing more. I got involved in research and then, you know, from that standpoint, the rest is history. Awesome. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like felt like what you said, uh I related very like deeply on that. Like especially when I was young, like I still remember my like elementary school classes. I know it sounds weird, but like uh like the geology and like the basic like, you know, like 
volcanoes and stuff and i was like i'm a science guy you know like i like science uh and i just kind of like kept that mindset throughout everything i did like throughout high school um like i you know took the the biology chemistry physics uh physics also didn't really click for me um but chemistry clicked and then bio i liked a lot as well um but i kind of like chemistry more than the biology at the time and then i kind of got to college and then gen chem just kind of took it out of me for a second uh sorry to the gen chem department <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, but, uh, <laughs> it's like an un an unavoidable script you know yeah it's like mm -hmm. it's just a perfect storm of a group of people excited to be on to the next thing and not really truly not having the firm foundation of study skills mm -hmm. and how you know your own mind works yeah and then you sort of just like jump into gen chem and it rapidly increases in mathematical difficulty yep, yep. and it, you know it's unfortunately more the rule than the exception that everybody's like oh my first semester so i hope i hope uh you uh both sort of got out of that as good as possible but i just i don't know what it was about general chemistry it's just too much it's not deep enough mm -hmm. and like you open the book i don't even i don't even have a general chemistry book in here <laughs> but the first chapter is like stoichiometry yeah mm -hmm. i'm like okay that's fine but i'm really in this for the atoms I'm in this for the wave function, man. Right. I'm in this for the, like, insanity of what is a proton? What is an electron? How do you know it's a particle and a wave at the same time? Where is it? Fuck if I know. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think starting with just the, the mass and calculations is, like, really underselling the magic of it. And I've said that before, too, like... I can't go to Hogwarts. I wish I could study sorcery. But when you cross off all those things, the next thing on the list that's real is chemistry. Yeah, I felt that. And, like, when I did get to Ochem, I took Ochem 1 with Dr. Turner. And, like, I don't know what it was about Ochem, but, like, it was something about... It was basically learning a new language, honestly. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And you start from scratch. It's nothing like Gen Chem. Like, like the most like similarity was like acid-based chemistry is what like you use a lot in ochem and uh like i got there and i i loved it like i don't know what it was about it but it just clicked and like something about like learning something new from the bottom up i like was able to like you know invest in it and i like i loved it and i like still you know help my friends with ochem to this day even though it's been two years since i've taken it that's great yeah it's i don't know it's like a really good story Mm -hmm. like you read it once and you're like I get it I think and then you like you know in graduate school you experience it all again wow this story is complicated I definitely did not get that part the first time but then you know I've said as well like my knowledge and fluidity of problem solving and problem analysis is easily 50 times higher than the day that I got my diploma for my PhD. Um, not to say that I didn't, you know, I wasn't 
you know, doing the right stuff or I, did, I definitely knew how to solve problems. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got out. Sounds like jail. <laughs> we can talk about that on a different podcast. <laughs> um, you know, would you, would you do it again? You mean get another PhD? No. <laughs> would you do it the first time? Yes. Um, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, I want to touch on something beautiful that you just mentioned a little bit ago about chemistry being kind of like a story. I remember when I was in OCHEM as well, and GenChem even, like one of the most interesting things I found was whenever you guys would explain the experiment that was used to derive that property or whatever, like um, like a Millikan's oil drop experiment or something like that, because um, it would it would blow my mind to think that these qualities and properties existed for the past billions of years but it's only until people discovered them that we now are able to add them to our story and our understanding of the universe. Um, and it just makes me think, like, what do we not have the capabilities to discover right now that in the future we will, that will rapidly change our like sure. way of, of seeing the world? And it's really cool to think about. So it's been a long time. It's probably been, like, close to 20 years. Maybe I'm misremembering. But there was this very famous physics experiment where we had satellites in space and they were picking up microwave background radiation, presumably from the Big Bang. And from the accumulation of the, the shape of the waves, the polarization of the waves, I don't even know what they're looking at, but it was like there's three possible things, that the universe is closed which means that if you look up and you see a star, you can also keep going and go to the same exact point. Like by traveling in a straight line, it is, in a topology standpoint, I, I believe it's like a torus, so like a donut. So you, you see something, you can travel to it, but then you can also take an infinite number of paths to get to the same place. Uh -huh. And you, know, you could literally walk over the same star hundreds of times and you would interpret it as traveling in a straight line. I really wanted that one to be true because I thought that was really cool and weird. Uh, one of them was the expansion was one, and then one of them was like, I forget what the other one was, maybe like expanding so quickly that we can never catch up, which I believe is now what ultimately everybody thinks is happening too. Anyway, the closed universe, exactly that. It's like, who would have thought that we're able to detect anything of that matter, you know, 50 years ago? And I, I think about this all the time. I always get the date wrong, but like the neutron, the concept of a neutron or the reality that a neutron is actually a thing is less than 100 years old. <laughs> wow. I believe it's like 1935 was the discovery of the neutron. I think people had calculated it but it's just like what you know yeah. where are we this is nuts yeah do you think that's how it was I, i'm not like knowledgeable enough to even speak on this but i recently heard about like not recently like in the past 10 years learned about the like the higgs boson particle or something that was discovered and there's a lot of like scientific hype around it but i never understood it too much at the time do you think that's how it was when the neutron was discovered People oh were like, i'm oh, sure really cool. and i i totally agree with you about the higgs boson like Every time I think I know what it is, I read it, I read it again, I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> I guess I do struggle with how to... Okay, so this, this is one of my 
my big just like guiding principles as a scientist. Like so much information is captured in an image that if you can graph it or you can model it and you can show me a picture, to me that is more impactful than the math. Not that I can derive the math from a picture, but that's also not my job. I know who to talk to if I want that math derived. So it's like this collection of, I don't know, just a collection of ideas. That's, that's what drives me fully. But the, uh, oh my gosh, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the point. Um, Happens to the best of Just us. the, you know, what we just completely look past that could be of such intense value. We just don't have a way to, you know, to really grasp it yet. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I, I definitely always wanted to be a scientist because I just felt like there's nothing more important. Um, I think many people would argue with that. And I thought NASA was great. I fear that the government-funded space program is the best thing that humanity will ever do <laughs> from a scientific standpoint. Did you see the movie First Man? Yes, I did. The um, Neil Armstrong uh -huh. movie? Yeah, yeah. I highly recommend it. It's very moving. It is nuts. You're basically flying to the moon in like a car from 1965. Like, I, that's so crazy. Yeah. To think about. Yeah, I don't. You know, and it's been said so many times, like, oh, my phone has more power. My phone has more computing power than every computer at NASA when, you know, the first man went to space. It's like, it doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. it sounds like a fake moon landing to me. <laughs> I'm, just right. I'm just kidding. Moon landing. <laughs> oh, the flat earth thing. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> Nothing drives me more bonkers than that. I just gotta let it go, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so kind of switching gears here, um, uh, my understanding is that you did like a decent amount of research in you know the graduate school and stuff, and I've heard a lot of interesting stories of that uh, from you. So um, would you mind talking a little bit about like what kind of research you did back then? Absolutely. So uh, when I started graduate school, <clears throat> I had worked on or so I'd worked on projects in undergraduate at the University of Akron. And my uh, undergraduate research mentor was Dr. Helen Richter. And she was just a really funny lady, like super just whimsical and I don't know, just really a nurturing kind of person. She was a physical chemist. So, you know, I didn't really quite know what I was getting into, <laughs> but working in her lab, like I just worked on a bunch of different kinds of projects. Um, some of them were very like, like, um, you know, light induced reactions in a UV vis instrument. Some of them were just trying to make some weird inorganic molecules too. But I, I learned a lot of technique and, you know, it was a small, you know, her group was small at the time, but I just really, got addicted to the craft of it you know like how do I get this liquid in a sealed container to that container that's also sealed without exposing it to oxygen at all and you know 
there's a <laughs> there's an app for that. There's a <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I don't know the process of it is really fascinating to me. And it was her that you know she just one day was like, "Do you want to go to grad school? You should go to grad school." You should go to OSU. You would love it. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you don't think about it too hard at the time, but, like, those little things are like the butterfly wing that whooshes you into your future. Um, I knew it was a good decision because when I got here, you know, our uh, graduate first-year class was, like, one of the biggest that Ohio State ever had. Honestly, still to this day, some of my favorite people on Earth were classmates whether I talk to them frequently or not. Um, and one of those classmates was Dr. Kelton. So it's really funny. I mean, is that a testament to the lightning, lightning strike moment when our class got here? That, I don't know, we just were in this weird, you know, pre-9-11 uh, end of the 90s, you know, tail, very tail end of Gen X. Um, just a weird, just a weird time. But then to meet people, and this is what I hope of, of anybody that goes on to graduate school or professional school, like when you get to meet this like totally random assortment of people who have obviously their own personalities, their own interests, their own hobbies, but they all have one fundamental thing absolutely in common. Just as really, it's just really neat. I don't know. And I lived at home in undergrad, so I didn't. I never had that real like. I'm on my own college experience, which, honestly, I don't. I don't know if I would have been ready, you know. And I, I have such respect for you know so many of the students I work with, like the maturity level. In from my perspective, maybe you guys <laughs> will, you know, counteract that. Uh, but. The maturity level of, of so many of the students I've worked with is just so impressive. It's like, oh my gosh, you would have ate me alive if I was <laughs> 19 years old in your class. Um, so uh, research-wise, there was this fascination for me, and there still is, about building molecules from scratch. Because it really is, it's as cool as it sounds. Like. I drew this thing on paper. As far as I can tell, nobody has ever made this before, ever. It is not natural. It is not found in a plant or an animal. And I can, you know, do a few reactions, try to purify it, which is always the worst. But then, you know, using the spectroscopic techniques that we teach in lab, and really, you know, learning how to do the next layer of all that analysis, which is like nothing's ever clean and nothing ever follows the rules, it seems like. But, you know, you have all this data then, you're like, I made that. Like, that's something new. It's really very, um, you know, God complexy. But then also with the right attitude, like, it's really quite humbling. Mm -hmm. um, I think my, my PhD work, and I work with John Parquette, who is still a faculty member at Ohio State, I say many times he is, like, I am the president of his fan club. Uh, he was a fantastic mentor. Uh, I still consider him a very close friend. I respect him so much. He, like, listens to podcasts and reads books like crazy. It's like, 
I I can't keep my brain from rotating in my skull. <laughs> so you know, to have a really interesting conversation about something um, that I'm interested in, but that I just you know I'm not going to make the time to read that book right now. I'm great at buying books, but terrible at reading them. <laughs> so in his group, we were exploring unnatural systems that could behave catalytically like an enzyme. So the thought process, and you know, this is a literally a 30-year-old concept where like, okay, if I could build something like a radial polymer. So, you know, uh, a linear polymer is just sort of, you can think of it as infinitely long, one-dimensional. Uh, a cross-linked polymer is like taking two strings and tying them together in the middle. Um, a radial polymer is like all the strings are tied to one central unit and then it branches out. Or, well, I mean, or it linearly goes out where it branches. So what, what the whole group's thrust was at that time was trying different combinations of functional groups with hydrogen bonding or not, or pi stacking, but trying to make these structures that we could study uh, with metal catalytic reactions. Like, can you use a, a zinc to, you know, reduce something and create a stereochemical product? And really it was like trying to make a synthetic biochemistry not because you can't study biochemistry, but for a chemist, biochemistry is too big. And you know, in, in that time, a protein NMR was like not really a thing that was on people's minds. People were inventing the the technology and the algorithms to even do it, you know. So this idea of like, all right, I could make something really big from from a chemistry standpoint but also really symmetrical so that maybe I could study, I'm, I'm imagining studying a natural system, a natural catalytic system, but I have created this thing where it is just a little bit more simple and possible for a chemist to, to think about. So I like really got sucked into that biochemistry, but not. Um, we took some of the project or one of my projects was also using the same kinds of things, but it was studying polymeric dental material. And, you know, we learned some stuff. What I created is not a product that's used for any purpose. <laughs> but it was just a very interesting time for me to learn about, like, that area of material science um, and really gain a, um, a knowledge and comfort with thinking about polymers, which is actually something that I took with me to my postdoc which I'll talk about in a sec, but. So, you know, my, my un under, uh, undergraduate studies was just getting excited about science and the technique. Graduate school was really about, you know, building some really big and complicated things, which is hard. I applied to 20 different government postdocs when I was, you know, nearly finished with my PhD. And everything was like Navy Research Lab, Army Research Lab, because it was stuff like, you know, how do you make the blackest black? Mm -hmm. How do you make something invisible to radar? How do you make the lightest, strongest waterproof surface or whatever? So, like, I definitely was edging towards 
material science. Uh, and that just was because I was tired of purifying things. <laughs> so I just, you know, I think my, my love of synthetic chemistry as a craft is still very strong. But uh, the, the perfectionism and the impatience that is also part of my personality just makes it so hard to really finish, you know? So material science, you know, you, you analyze stuff, but you don't have to purify it. Like you mix it together and it is, it is what it is. And if it's not what you want, if it doesn't have the properties you want, forget it. Okay, so 19 was like that. And one of them was the National Institute of Drug Abuse development of dopamine uh, active molecules for the treatment of drug abuse. I was like, well, hell yeah, I'm gonna apply to that one. <laughs> so I sent my stuff in and I literally got no love from anything except that group. And here is maybe one of my biggest tips for any, you know, any person early in their career, make the phone call. So I got this offer and I like very aggressively, well, not even, I mean, I'm not aggressive, <laughs> very excitedly followed up. And we had this phone conversation and this is Dr. Amy Newman, who was a guest lecturer um, in our class in the spring. Um, you know, I just like met her on the phone. And there, this is way before you could do video conferencing of any quality, you know. It would look like the video when you're, you know, your parent that doesn't have an iPhone sends you the video through the text, you know. Look at this a minute long 4K video of my dog <laughs> catching a ball. And it's like this big and so blurry. I just honestly, like from that moment, my admiration for her has never shrank. And I went out for an interview and she, you know, honestly, f um, being a woman in science is almost an impossible job, especially if you have three kids and you want to be a good spouse to your husband, you want to be a good parent to your children, and you also want to run a cutting-edge research group that is funded by the government. So, you know, I'm so honored to have taken part or have been a part of her story and the fact that we even connected, unfortunately, is a case of like right place, right time, right person, right direction, you know? I don't think, you know, I don't think people early in their career want to hear that. People don't want to hear like, it's basically just luck. But it's also not, it's, it's perseverance and it's like, you know, right place, right time. Well, then you got to be a lot of places. And, you know, if you, if you're a, a, an honest person and you are curious and you have demonstrated some level of expertise in whatever you, f you have spent your time doing, I think that's what opens the doors, you know. So drug abuse research, nuts. It was that moment that really sucked me into the neuroscience from more than an armchair perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I am not a biologist. I'm not a molecular biologist. I am not an animal scientist. I am not an in vitro biologist, but I'm a chemist. And 
I worked at the time, the senior postdoc in the group was this uh, charmingly dour, wonderful human being named Peter. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting at group meeting and, you know, the, the biologists and the psychologists, because, I mean, it was really everything. Mm-hmm. Like, in our, in our group or in our branch, it's like the chemist could make a molecule, purify it, characterize it, send it off to get tested for other, you know, very baseline things. And then we bring it back, and then our in vitro biologists do the cell binding studies or homogenized tissue studies. And that's like radio-labeled stuff and lots of rep- uh, replications and lots of different concentrations. And then, if that's cool, you can hand it off to the... Um, microdialysis group where they inject something into an animal I mean it's usually a mouse and they can actually sample the fluid surrounding the neurons and see what you know what neurotransmitters are upregulated or downregulated and then from there you can move to you know different animal studies with rats and so many crazy addiction um, uh, like addiction structured psychology experiments like you know, how can you train a rat to self-administer cocaine? Well, you know, this gives water, this gives sugar and cocaine. It's that easy. Yeah. So you're just learning about all this stuff. But Peter Peter said to me, the, the postdoc, he's like, a chemist can learn biology, but not all biologists can learn chemistry. <laughs> and it was, it was such a cowboy, uh, like, super egotistical thing to say. I was just like, that's funny, but I sort of... You could say that in a nicer way. <laughs> There's just something weird about chemists, you know? It's not always good, but it's different. Which is why I love that, like, who is the physics touchstone of pop culture? It's, like, got to be Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. I was almost thinking Neil deGrasse Tyson. Was yeah, that's thinking. what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> He's real. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, real people. So just, like, you know... I would say more people know who Sheldon is than Neil Grass Tyson, although he was on so many times. Yeah. But who's the chemistry cultural touchstone? Walter White. Yeah. <laughs> so therein is like, I think, a nice dichotomy of the two fields. Chemistry is dangerous. And it's kind of also what, like, draws me to it. Not that I, I was never the kind of person, like, I made an explosive in my garage and I blew it up in my backyard. Like I was way too nerdy to get in trouble. But, uh, you know, I also like, I'm not like a a neat freak or a germaphobe. It just is like a part of my personality. Like I just don't like getting messy, you know? Now being a homeowner, you gotta like let that go because you just gotta fucking get dirty sometimes. But, you know, part of being a chemist is like being very clean and being very aware of what has touched what and what have I touched and what is on my clothes and why is my finger tingling? So it's like, you know, just that kind of awareness um, and not having the right place to do it. Like, you know, so many, I've taught here for 12 years practically, uh, almost 13, and it's like, like, would you, like, you'd never make drugs at home. I'm like, why the hell would I make drugs at home? That is so dangerous. There's no hoods. There's no way to dispose of anything. There's no, like, industrial strength fire extinguishers. 
Yeah. It's like if I'm gonna break the law, yeah. have to do it right. I might, I might have to do it, you know, a Walter White style somewhere, somewhere that has those things. I am not saying that I would ever do that. Being being a chemist who's worked in drug abuse science, who has had clearance from the federal government to use seized drugs as starting materials for different synthesis. I am a good guy. <laughs> I can't. I'm the first person they'll check if anything goes weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember in class last semester you were telling us about how you had to carry cocaine from like the uh, from like one building to another just out. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the um, the NIH pharmacy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is just a little like a little hole in the wall. Very, very, very um, like psychedelic. Like, <laughs> have you seen Being John Malkovich? I've not. It's a it's a pretty old movie by uh, Spike Jones, but I don't know. It's like it's just surreal, you know. You walk down a white hallway, and there's just a square in the wall, and it slides open. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> like here's my request. Okay, come back tomorrow. <laughs> and you know, I, being the um, inquisitive and tangent loving person that I am, I just would like look at that door. I'm like, ooh, what's back there? Like, I wonder what else they have. <laughs> I can't get anything else because I'm not doing research on any of that stuff. But, um, but so just to tie that all together, my graduate work was making big things that sort of mimic the functioning of biology. My postdoctoral work, which was almost as long as my PhD. So, like, I was, I was there for four years. One... It was sort of still the rough market post 9-11 and, you know, amidst the wars in the Middle East. So, you know, and still even recovering from like the tech burst of the late 90s. So it was like hard to get a job. And, you know, was I picky? I was definitely picky. Um, I did not. You know, I just wasn't going to apply to anything because I knew that I wanted to be in a certain place. So I had a lot of visions of where I could end up. I'm just not a small college person. I don't think I would enjoy it that much. So, you know, I never dreamed in my life that my trajectory would land me back at Ohio State. Because I really, you know, I never thought I could do, like, I, teaching the big classes, very, very daunting. But I, you know, my role here is not tenure track. You know, I'm not, I'm not, um, like, being forced or, or I, I'm not even allowed to, like, have grad students. And, you know, if, if I write a grant, it's like, oh, who is this guy, you know? So, but that's fine. Like, that's somebody else's job. I'm really here for you because that's honestly what I'm most interested in. So maybe to rewind the whole way, I, you know, from big and small medicinal chemistry versus supermolecular chemistry, it's all just about how molecules interact with each other. And then one of the, one of the pieces of my red and violet sort of place where that spectrum folds is literally, like, I think I am an artist and my medium is your neurons. Uh, <laughs> I am trying to paint a story in a way that makes it memorable 
and try to include as much of the truth as I possibly can. So that's a lofty goal. That's probably the most interesting thing of my life. That's awesome. That's also like a like a like a great way to wrap everything up as we're like getting to the end. But I did like I did want to ask real quick. Like this is kind of like a bonus segment, yeah. if you don't mind for a little. But um, you have a lot of amazing stories, funny stories to do with chemistry and stuff. <laughs> um, right, like before we uh, finish up, would you mind telling uh, telling us one of your funniest stories, whatever? Well, it is. Um, you know the the ghost chili story was one that was spoken of. And I do feel like, you know, in my quest to ultimately be a stand-up comic as my next job, <laughs> which may be in another life, uh, you know, I have definitely thought about this story a lot, but this is how it plays out. I was part of a CSA. A friend of mine um, and his wife had bought a share in this community supported agriculture. So it was like five or 600 bucks, but we split it. So then every week you get like a bag of vegetables that are, you know, local, homegrown, whatever, supporting the community and it's really good food. So it was, it was the night of the Emmys. And I don't recall what year, but I'm pretty sure Ellen DeGeneres was hosting. I was making turkey burgers on the grill and I looked in the fridge and I found these peppers and they looked like, uh, you know, like a banana pepper, but just like a little wrinklier and redder. So I pulled them out. I'm like, oh, those would be good. So I like put those on the grill too. So it was whatever time, uh, one of my wife and I's friends that we have known since high school was gonna be in town. She had taken the Greyhound bus. What an illustrious way to travel. <laughs> um, and we had to pick her up at the Greyhound bus station at a certain time, like at seven o'clock or something. So it's like, I don't know, whatever, six. And I get our burgers ready and I put the roasted pepper on my plate. We're both enjoying our turkey burgers, watching a television program. And then I take the pepper and I put the whole thing in my mouth. And it was, you know, really only like, I don't know, three inches long. And I bit into it and instantly I was like, wow, that is hot. And I have been training myself over the years to just really enjoy spicy food. Mm -hmm. There is a point that I do not like anymore and I call that the white hot poker phase. Like <laughs> if you take a piece of iron and you hold it over a high temperature flame, it glows white. And then you put that on your tongue and you just feel nothing except sizzling burn and nerve damage. It's like, I'm not about that. Like pure pain is stupid, but really, really tasty hot stuff is awesome. Um, so this pepper's hot, you know, and I'm like, wow really hot and then my mistake is I went and just swallowed it I chewed it up a little bit and I swallowed it I did not know at the time but in Final Fantasy or other role playing games there's this curse or a magical spell called death 
or whatever. <laughs> then death is cast on someone, and they have a little counter above their head. Upon swallowing this pepper, a timer of 90 minutes <laughs> appeared above my head. Now, I wasn't done, right? So, like, I'm like, wow, spicy. I don't know. Have you gone there with ultra spicy stuff? Mm-hmm. I try not to, but I have. So, not. for me, like, when I pass this threshold of, of heat, I'm just, like, generating saliva constantly for, like, 10 minutes. So, I'm, like, sitting over the sink, like, spitting out, feeling like an idiot, and sweating a little bit. Just really going, wow, that's hot. Like, that's a really dangerous pepper to just put in a bag and not warn anybody about. (laughs) So then that sort of passed, and we went, picked up my friend, we got back home, we sat down, turned on the Emmys, and that's when the counter hit zero. And I went, oh, I'm going to go use the restroom. So then I went from our living room through the kitchen to the bathroom that we have close to the kitchen. It's not that far. And I was experiencing, in retrospect, the most intense intestinal cramps that I think a human being could experience. Like, a pain, like, if you sit still, it feels like the worst pain you've ever felt. If you lay down, it feels terrible. It does nothing. If you try to move and wiggle, it just feels terrible. So it's literally like, you know, what's your pain level? You know, someday I'll end up at the emergency room. Well, it's a nine. Because the most painful thing I've ever experienced was eating a roast <laughs> beef chili pole. So that cramping, spasming pain continued for like 20 minutes. And literally, I was like trying to lay, trying to sit up, but I just ended up deciding that, and this is a useful piece of information, that if you are on a toilet and you can fold your upper body as parallel to the ground as possible, that will take the 10 down to like a seven. (laughs) But wait, there's more. So then at a certain point, the pain is so unbelievable that every sweat gland in my body sweat at the same time. Like poof, I'm like literally covered in sweat. And things start to go dark. I'm like, I am dying. I am dying of whatever this just happened. You know a lot about yourself in that moment. I said, well, I'm not dying on the toilet. (laughs) So I stood up. By the way, like nothing was happening in the toilet avenue. It just felt like the right place to go. You know, like why do mice go hide in the shadows when they (laughs) eat poison? It's like, I don't know. So I stood up, made myself right, opened the door and sort of flopped on the floor. And I said my wife's name, Becky. And the TV was playing and then it went mute. And then I said, Becky. And she goes, are you okay? And I said, no. <laughs> so she runs over to me. She's a nurse practitioner. Um, and she's like palpating me and like trying to figure out if I'm having appendicitis. And I'm like, I don't know. It just feels terrible. And she, and she from her perspective, she's like, I only had one choice. Was I driving you to the hospital or was I calling 911? <laughs> so 
I don't remember a lot of the next little phase, <laughs> but I convinced her not to call 911. I returned to my death place in the restroom and sat on the toilet and did my 90 degree upper torso parallel to the ground. And I swear to you, so this is like 30 minutes in. This is plus 30 minutes for my counter. Um, for like 30 minutes, I sweat and honestly had hallucinations and like was in and out of consciousness or definitely an altered state of consciousness. And that ended about 30 more minutes. So like the pain was definitely, honestly, the pain was probably being nullified by some incredible release of, um, you know, endo, uh, you know, morphine like molecules. So, you know, my natural painkillers are like completely crushing me right now. And after 30 minutes, now it's like a full hour since the beginning of the incident. Um, I like talked to my wife. I was like, I was on my phone. So now this is an iPhone commercial. <laughs> and I like look up Ghost Chili. And I found a picture. I'm like, honey, would you look in the refrigerator? Does the pepper look like this? <laughs> and like, I'm holding my hand out the bathroom door. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, yes. So like, I knew it was a ghost chili at that point. I was sure I didn't have a perforated intestinal wall, that I wasn't going to die, that it was just a insane response to the absolutely caustic nature of the roasted pepper. If you don't know much about pepper, like if you eat one raw, that's hot. If you cook it and sweat uh -huh. it, it degrades all the cellular structure and just makes it hotter. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, pretty much the hottest possible way to eat that whole in one bite. And then when that was all over, I like just went and laid on the floor and I was like stoned out of my mind <laughs> for like the rest of the night. And my, f my fleeting thought was like, this is so good. I would almost do it again. But to this day, I have not. <laughs> so that is the ghost chili story. Those just uh, be careful. The, danger, yeah. the dangers of capsaicin. Oh my god, it is no joke. <laughs> that is intense. Holy cow! When uh, when students will always say like, "Oh, we should isolate capsaicin from a pepper in lab," no. I'm like, "No, because that's tear gas now. Like, <laughs> we're not making pepper spray." <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so potent. Holy cow! Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great point to end on. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Really it's fun. been it's been really fun. I loved everything you had to say. Oh my gosh, stop uh, stop encouraging me. <laughs> oh no, I thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> Tell it. me to get to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I you know I appreciate you know I appreciate you both. It was so great to work with you closely in the spring. We hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. And if you're feeling down for it, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Catch you guys in the next one. Peace. Peace.